Hello, and welcome to Hegel is a Virgo, a podcast about literature, theory, culture, and astrology. Hello, everybody. Uh, welcome to Hegel is a Virgo. I'm Edward, uh, a host, perhaps. Um, he, him pronouns. Oh, and I'm a Pisces. My name is Jeffrey. I use he, him pronouns as well. I am absolutely a Scorpio, and uh, we talked about doing favorite podcasts, but no one else was into it. Uh, but my favorite podcast is In Our Time, hosted by Melvin Bragg through the BBC. Hi, my name is Annika. I use they, them <laughs> pronouns. I'm a Cancer, and if we're going off of favorite podcasts, I guess it's my brother, my brother, and me. But, yeah. Hey, I'm Nick, uh, Pisces he him pronouns i have i have high hopes for hegel is a virgo i think new favorite podcast i'm i'm into it so far <laughs> handing it off now uh okay last host um i'm amelia uh sh- she her pronouns um i am a taurus aquarius moon virgo rising um, okay, so the project of this podcast essentially is to uh, finally bridge the gap uh, between academia and astrology, um, which, you know, is something we've all been waiting for, wishing for. Um, so we're starting um, towards the end of Scorpio season here um, with two Scorpios, uh, the first of first of whom is Dostoevsky. Yeah. Um, yep. Yep. <laughs> Thank you. In case <laughs> in case there were another oh, Dostoevsky. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um and Camus. Do you wanna also Albert. Thank you. <laughs> or Albert. Um or yeah. Al. Al. You can you can call me Al. On a personal level. <laughs> call me Al. <laughs> that's actually what that song is about. Yes. Al if you're nasty. <laughs> if you're nasty. <laughs> Fun fact that actually Paul Simon was really good friends with Albert really? Camus. Yeah, he was actually he was actually following Camus, <laughs> like in the car when Camus crashed. Yeah, no joke. And then Graceland came out not long after that. This is factual, but I mean we were laughing, but it's all right, whatever. It's not real. No, it's not no. real. <laughs> <laughs> Are you kidding me? Like, <laughs> It's not real at all, <laughs> obviously. I was, I was convinced. I don't know. I guess they weren't even alive. Dur- they weren't even alive during the same period. I don't know why I was so convinced by that for a second. Also, uh, me and Julio down by the schoolyard has not. Eh, we maybe we can talk about if me and Julio down by the schoolyard has some sort of like existential component. I don't know. I'll say that I can't run off of um, Rhythm of the Saints. Absolutely does. And actually, the the uh, uh, also the other I can't think of the song right now, but the one where it's like it's like a capitalist like critique, and there's like a bunch of musicians. Uh, what's the name of that song? I'll find it later. Okay. But I'm a rock. Okay. <laughs> uh, like a, a number crunch. We'll, yeah. We'll figure that this out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Here's to you. <laughs> no. Um. Yeah. I guess like 
happy Scorpio season. Um, we're all, you know, glad that Mercury is out of retrograde, <laughs> um, which is making uh, communication, I think, easy and fluid um, in uh, the creation uh, of this podcast. <laughs> I feel like that really comes through. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, without further ado, uh, Dostoevsky. How do you pronounce his first name? <laughs> Theodore. Theodore like, or like Dostoevsky? Yeah. Okay, so Fyodor Dostoevsky, uh, born November 11th, 1821, died February 9th, uh, 1881, was a Russian novelist, short story writer, essayist, journalist, and philosopher. Dostoevsky's literary works explore human psychology in the troubled political and social atmospheres of 19th century Russia and engage with a variety of philosophical and religious themes. Sure. I'm just straight reading from the Wikipedia page, and I apologize, but this is how it's going to go. His most acclaimed works, according to Wikipedia, include Crime and Punishment, The Idiot, Demons, and the Brothers... um, Karamazov. Karamazov. I I apologize. Russian is not uh, one of my languages. Let's do a nice, like, MLA, like, or, like, one of the things that you might see in, like, an academic journal where they're, like... They say, like, the Brothers K, Karamazov, and then it's, like, in parentheses, the Brothers K from this point on. Yeah, from this point on, it's the Brothers Brothers K. K. Um, Yeah, and his novella, his 1864 novella, Notes from the Underground, is considered to be one of the first works of existentialist literature. Thank you, Wikipedia. Bing bong bang. Could we call it BK, like Burger King, maybe, but Brothers K? Or is that going to be reductive? We could do BK. I think whatever you're comfortable with. Yeah. Well, I feel like that, that will be problematic for the segment where we talk about Burger King. Like, I feel like it may get Burger King the theorist. Not a sponsored yeah. episode. So, before we get into the exact reasons why Dostoevsky is a Scorpio, what are some people's opinions as to why Dostoevsky is a Scorpio? I's birthday. Yeah, aside from his birthday. <laughs> what makes a Scorpio a Scorpio? <laughs> Birthdays. <laughs> Does he have uh, one of those like poison tails, like a scorpion? Does he have like a poison tail, or is that am I misremembering? No, no, no. <laughs> I know that's what scorpions look like. Yeah. Jeffrey, is the Scorpio in the group? Do you have a poison tail? Is that? Yes. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Okay. Undeniably, and no one can prove that false because all you can hear is my voice. This is true. And the foul of my tail is swaying back and forth in the wind. <laughs> you can't hear it. What similarities might Jeffrey have to Do- to Dostoevsky? Socialism? Mm. Depression. <laughs> depression. <laughs> okay, depression. Jeffrey, have you ever been sent to a Soviet workers' camp? Wasn't it Serbian? No, but I've never been. I have, uh, no, I, the only manual labor I've ever done was my grocery store job uh, in high school, so no, never a work camp per se. Um, have you ever owned sandals, though? Yes, I've owned a couple pairs of sandals. Oh, okay. So you don't, because Dostoevsky didn't have sandals. So, okay. Jeffrey, do you have a page on your Wikipedia page that is leaving jail and first wife? <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, probably a really important thing about Dostoevsky is that he was part of like sort of young socialist political groups and then was arrested for it and was sent to... A Siberian work camp for super long. Did we? Was that in the bio or no? No. Five years. For five years. Yeah, okay, I believe so. Yeah. Um, where, as I've heard, he uh, only had a copy of the New Testament, so he just kept reading it over and over and over again, and hence how you might 
combine socialism and uh christianity into one maybe i don't know checks out sit in a work camp for long enough yeah things start to fit together (laughs) in that way i guess sure grand inquisitor is probably dostoevsky's most famous like thing um or like i mean most people probably know like the titles of his books like crime and punishment the idiot obviously you have to remember a, a book called the idiot um and then the brothers k or like notes from the underground but like the thing that most people remember or like a thing that really summarizes a lot of his thinking is the grand inquisitor i guess um and it's just a chapter in the brothers karamazov so ivan who is the coolest brother of the three um he's a atheist socialist uh i think he's getting his phd or something is he hot uh he's probably hot there's no um oh wait brief interjection i think i only read the beginning but my impression was dimitri was hot in that aggressive gambler soldier kind of way alyosha was beautiful hot and ivan had like slight incel vibes Ooh, actually you know what i don't (laughs) you think the coolest brother is the incel brother no okay okay basically (laughs) ivan's joker and no (laughs) Uh, no i don't think i think ivan had a girl doesn't he have a girl girlfriend or something i thought he was crushing on the one who's in love with alyosha no, I'm no, that's probably missing. That's uh, isn't that Dimitri? I don't remember. I bet you're right. But Dimitri is actually you're right. Dimitri's definitely the hot one because he's he's actually called the sensual brother. Ooh, very cool. Which is weird. <laughs> weird. Yeah. A nightmare. <laughs> yeah. But anyways, Ivan still kind of cool maybe. Um, he like writes this weird short story and it's basically like a big fuck you to Alyosha, which is actually the best brother. Best name, first off. Um, and what's that? It's that Lady Gaga song, Alejandro. Every time you say Alyosha, I think like Ali Alyosha, Ali Alyosha. <laughs> don't say my name. Don't. Do you guys know that song, yeah. Alejandro? Yeah. That's a great song. Yeah. We're gonna get copyrighted for that, but that's all right. Um, yeah, they're gonna take this down. <clears throat> yeah, our our listeners <laughs> are gonna yeah. This will go on our Patreon. Um, so. anyways in (laughs) anyways ivan writes this thing and basically it's like a hypothetical basically it's a if jesus were to come back today people would hate him kind of deal um which seems maybe like out of character for him but i think it's just him being sort of like a real nihilist um but basically like jesus comes back during like the spanish inquisition and the the they arrest him and they like scold him basically for like the freedom that that his sort of sacrifice gives people the idea is that like that like freedom is inherently painful um because one is faced with like their sort of existence like on a daily level or like the fact that like there's there's the there's like they at the very least have a have a have an option of like making their daily life better than it is right now and that entails like a huge struggle um and so like in by institutionalizing religion as like the catholic church did um they tried to like flip it so that like 
the promise of freedom comes after the like bondage of life so that you like stay static in your existence and like you you don't observe the freedom that like christ gave or something like that does that make (laughs) sense well it's like god has like has or the the church has framed life as as full of suffering not because of freedom like that is happening now but because of promised freedom later right so if you endure your this suffering with grace and like you stay poor and you don't cause too much trouble later on it's gonna be great um is that the that's like the yeah the way that the church has framed it i think but it's weird to me because he uses like the catholic church right like he sets the story in spain but that to me sounds more puritan like a like puritan americans like literally believe that like if life was terrible that meant that you had like a good spot in heaven that like that like the worse off you were like probably the better off you were because then like that means that like that like christ is like putting you through like the worst trials like job like the book of job Mm -hmm. like putting you through the most trials to like test your faith and if you're still faithful in the end then like you're truly holy uh, yeah, that makes a lot more sense when, now that you've kind of uh, brought, like, the Puritan thing into, not the Puritan thing, uh, New England Puritans uh, from the early 17th century into, like, kind of the equation because, uh, they, I mean, like, the whole suffering, like, they, the errand into the wilderness, that was, like, one of their big things that, like, yeah, this is, like, we live in this uh, uninhabitable place where we don't have any, like, the comforts that we had in England, and now um, we're, like, I guess it's not inhabitable because Native Americans lived there, but like they, it was inhabitable for them. Um, and they were like, I don't know if this has anything to do with Dostoevsky, but like, but like, yeah, like it's like this. I mean, they really, I mean, if you read like Cotton Mather, uh, which like I unfortunately have, uh, <laughs> it's like a lot about just like suffering and trial and like, yeah, being like how that's good for you and how like that's what makes you a better person it's like your morality comes out of your suffering which is i don't know what, what would dostoevsky like would he agree with like a sentiment like that or would he be critical of a sentiment like that of, a, of what uh that morality arises from suffering and that we become more moral people through having to endure uh horrendous things uh i don't know if he would agree with that but i think I don't. I don't think that he probably would agree with that. Okay. But I. But I also don't know. Like I think he's critiquing that. Like, okay. I mean, he might agree with it. He might agree with it in the sense that, like, that, like, that he believes that, like, a freedom, the freedom that, like, that, like, a revolt for a socialist future would be really painful, and that revolt would bring about like a better morality and a better, like, life or a present, but like, or future. But I don't think like pure like suffering in the puritan sense of like or maybe in even like the in camus sense that like pain just like shit just sucks and then and like that makes you tougher you know what i mean like i don't think he i don't think he subscribes to that that's that's interesting because there's definitely like a like a very like traditionally masculine component to like this whole like idea of like pain as like this restorative and like regenerative and like motivating thing so that's interesting that other Dostoevsky wouldn't back that I don't know yeah uh, yeah that's interesting I, I, yeah, I know very little about 
Maybe I shouldn't say that on the podcast. Maybe I shouldn't say that on the podcast. I have not read like any Dostoevsky. But the point is that we don't know anything that we're saying, and that's why we're recording ourselves to say it. But it makes sense. I guess it makes sense that like that he targets he targets like the church in some way because, or at least he char- he targets the Catholics in some way because, like. I think like Dostoevsky's advocating for a Christian socialism and socialism always entails like a pro- a promise of a better future and so does Christianity and Catholicism but it's like a future beyond the future that you can ever really grasp and he's kind of saying no that's too far like think about the future but don't think that far ahead of the future and like so he's sort of doing something like that I don't know if that makes sense to people I don't know Do people have thoughts or critiques or anything? Why did did he, I guess, what sect of Christianity was Dostoevsky, uh, like, a member of? Uh, But then also, why was he so critical of the Catholics in particular? I know there was, like, a lot of anti-Catholic sentiment, like, in the 19th century, kind of broadly, and, like, historically, kind of broadly. But um, it doesn't seem like, it seems like he was critical of Catholics for maybe different reasons than like other like historically like sorry i keep uh historically uh i feel like people are um anti-catholic because of uh some of like the like ritualistic components of their practices but it sounds like he had like much more like institutional problems with them i don't yeah i think he's i think he's critical of any like it seems to me that he's critical of any sort of organization like i don't i don't know i really don't know because because like at the end like ali like alyosha is like a member of like a monastery and it's not catholic it's like russian orthodox or some other thing and like he leaves it and it's very much seems like a a like a beneficial thing that he's left that that organization or whatever but that and and so much of it is like when you organize it too much you like end up restricting your own like present freedom but I don't think it's specific, like maybe, but then also is it like is it just pure like a, then is it like Lutheran weird? I don't know. Yeah, it's less that he has like issues with the Catholic Church and more that it's just like the Catholicism is just like a test case almost for his. Okay, that we're like anti bureaucracy and like yeah, that makes sense. Okay. Just coming in with a quick fact check. He was Russian Orthodox as well. Okay, there you go. Sick. Six, six, six. Monica's a Wikipedia reader. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Do we have, like, a critique that we hear of the right is, like, is that, like, if if Jesus were to run as president, he wouldn't be elected because the conservative, like, position is, like, inherently anti-Christian. And that, like, truly, like, Christian is in, or Christ is, like, way more compatible with, like, socialism. And that's, like, very much Dostoevsky's idea, or he ag- agrees, at least. Um, and, and like, we see, like, that, like, working in opposition very much in our present day, like, with Donald Trump being clearly the most atheistic president we've ever had. Or, at the, vi- at the very least, like, modern president, like, weird deism of, like, Jefferson maybe doesn't count. But, like, um, 
But like, he's like so obviously not Christ to like, to use Kanye's vocab. Um, and but like, he has like crazy high ratings among evangelical Christians and stuff because like there's a support for like some sort of contrary institution that like I don't know I don't necessarily know how it works right but like weird I don't know does anybody have explanations as to why Trump has evangelical voters when he's obviously not Christ-like I mean, I feel like a part of it is just that people are very good at pretending. Um, and I feel like a lot of, in a lot of these cases, like you can kind of put on a personality to appeal to a certain group of people. And especially if you are like Trump is an old, rich, white guy. Um, it's very easy to kind of present yourself in a way that is friendly to the like to certain kind of groups. And I feel like that's the case, like despite the fact that he is the most atheist president he still like kind of appeals to them by saying things that are very like i agree with your religion like this is the view i have as well like we are one and the same in this like kind of weird like cult of personality type way if that makes sense yeah isn't the the psychoanalytic would be like that he's that he's like a site of like the perverse enjoyment that everybody restricts in themselves or or yeah. that, is that incorrect? Probably. No, I would say that that's like he represents enjoyment in this particular way. But also, I don't know. I, I had a thing and I lost it. Oh, no, this, my thing isn't psychoanalysis. I just, I don't know. I always figured, not that he necessarily presented himself as friendly to evangelicals or Christian voters in general, but it was the people to whom he was unfriendly that made him so attractive. Like the, I don't know, anti-immigrant, anti-liberal, anti-new things sentiments. Not to, I guess it kind of sounds like I'm trashing evangelicals, which I shouldn't because I don't even Even know any. But I hardly know her. But But I feel like it it was the anti liberal to the extent that that implies atheist, anti PC to the extent that, that implies change sentiment that that does make him most attractive to those voters. Not that that's I don't know, psychoanalytic stuff is Don't we? I mean, as do I. <laughs> I just feel like he's probably just like the best man for the job. Yeah. And, and that's why he got elected. Right. As I'm saying this, quick note I am an evangelical. No. <laughs> I guess, like, it's interesting. I mean, what do we think, though, like, as a group, like, about, like, this sort of, like, Christian socialism? Like, is Christian socialism a thing that that like we can ever bring to the table like even in like the most socialist like the most socialist countries in our world right now are the most atheistic like scandinavia um is like incredibly atheistic and so is it like possible that we could have 
like it seems to me theoretically possible that there is a Christian uh, socialism. And I think if you read the Bible, it's way more socialist than it is conservative. But um, how could we like ever make strides to like have that happen in our world? Like, is it compatible like ideologically in the contemporary present? And where does Rosalia stand <laughs> come into the picture? Perhaps I don't know. Thoughts? I have some some thoughts as uh, for Christianity as maybe not a socialist. Uh, Jeffrey theology. has opinions. <laughs> <laughs> I always have. I yeah. I should talk less as a person. Uh, but uh, you're great. Yeah. So I think that I don't know if I have anything to say about Christian socialism specifically, but I think like Christianity can definitely be used for like left leaning or um, left leaning or. Uh, more liberatory uh political ends and i think that's like how you approach the bible as like a literary and cultural text like i mean uh, largely like i mean it's like i don't know like literary theory comes from biblical hermeneutics and biblical exegesis so it all depends on how you're like what passages you pull out in order to support your position i mean it's like any sort of theoretical text i mean you justify i don't know maybe i I read theory wrong but i think that most people do this where they'll find a theoretical text or they'll find um yeah a theor- uh, i'm just going to use a theoretical text or any sort of cultural text they'll uh pull what they find the most productive for their own political or social goals and then uh, apply that to the issue that they want to address and i think i mean i mean christ uh, had so i mean there's that uh oh, what's the band called uh um i can't think of the name of the band uh they have a song called uh Jesus was a social. Uh, Jesus was a communist. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? No. Reagan Youth. Reagan Youth, who were a <laughs> punk band in like the '80s, had a song called "Jesus is a Communist." And I think there is a way of reading the Bible and reading uh, Jesus's like um, giving acts as socialist, and if not the, not socialist, then definitely leftist, and definitely uh, radically um, anti-establishment. I mean, I would say Christ is an anti-establishment figure, but I, I can also see people reading and interpreting the Bible as in opposition to that reading. So I think it's I don't know, it's like any sort of cultural text you approach. You have to approach it in a certain way, and I feel like every reader comes to it with different experiences. So like if Dostoevsky has like these socialist leanings, he's going to come to the Bible with a totally different uh, set of kind of beliefs he wants to justify with the text, as opposed to someone who is like a fundamentalist. Um, yeah, I don't know. That's why we shouldn't write books that are that long, I think. <laughs> you can use them for too much stuff. They're too versatile. Yeah. Yeah. I like that actually. I think that's I think all books should be I think all books should like be like hundred pages long, two hundred toss. You well you just got like no narrative cohesion and or like at a certain point you're just like there's there are bits and pieces for for every purpose, which is yeah, nice. A big Russian novel. But I'm then sorry. okay, but I also asked though, if like like it's obviously Edward loves <laughs> long books. Yeah. First off, I love long books, so fuck all of you. Uh No. Actually, Are you embarrassed? don't own a copy of Infinite Jest. Exactly. Um I do have the recognitions up though, and That's a bigger book. which is a bigger book. You're correct. But Actually, no, it isn't. Sh- it actually is shorter because, yeah, by like a hundred pages. But anyways, that's a whole book for me. But I wasn't going to talk about long, long. But I was going to say 
it's correct. Like, you're right. Like, okay, Dostoevsky, like, comes to Christ probably after socialism. At the very least, he's a so- socialist before he goes to the work camp where he, like, is, where he has reads to read the New Testament. The New Testament. <laughs> but then, but, like, then, like, what's the point? Like, if everybody just, like, comes to a text with their own, like, idea and then just like reads the idea into the text and then leaves the text with the idea intact slightly different just defended somehow then like what do we do like is ever then is there like anything in a text that's like at all like that's literally grad school like that's <laughs> what we're doing right i guess but but like hermeneutic project but then i don't know yeah then is there like no truth whatsoever in it either No, I don't no, think I like no, that. that's I mean that's yeah, good. That's a good question. Know. That's scary and I don't I don't know. I, I've just kind of I feel like in my own I don't know if I'd call it a career, but uh preoccupation with literary criticism and like literary theory have just kind of started to come to the point where I'm like becoming emotionally invested in certain claims that I have about certain texts to the point where I'm like, I think this is the correct way of reading it and I think other ways are like wrong almost. When, it, when I was working on um, my bachelor's degree, I was kind of just like, all right, I'm going to get some of this over here, put it in with this book, and just kind of see what happens. And I think, yeah. And I think, I don't know, I think, I, don't know, I, think it's, I think it is scary if there isn't, like, a capital T truth for certain cultural texts. I don't know, though. Yeah, I just wonder, though, like... Um, like obviously like you but you also like you have these ideas that you like back like you that you have emotional investments in but you also have like the evidence that you can point to yeah. to like back up the idea that you have an emotional ve- investment in so the emotion doesn't like nullify or like void the truth you know the truth yeah. of like whatever thing you deduce from your text but also like like when people have varying interpretations that are like that contradict your own like you can also point to evidence that they use as being faulty like so i don't know i don't know i no i think that's true but i also feel like if anyone if anyone pointed to like like i also feel like people could do that with me too like i don't know my a project i've been currently working on is like relating thomas hobbes to edgar huntley and i think someone could very easily refute my claim about it but like it's a claim that I maybe I, I'm not going to explain the claim of that essay actually because that seems like a waste of time. But it's I, I don't know. Yeah, I guess like I guess the difference might be like emotional do. versus intellectual investment. I don't know, and I think that I, mean, I think there's a difference there. But I don't know what it is. So do we choose our we? So we have to all choose the right in, emotional invest emotional and intellectual investments. I mean, isn't that sort of how we're like? That's how like. I mean, yeah. Like none of us can are are free of ideology. We just have to like believe that some of some ideological I don't know systems are better than others. I mean, yeah, I right? think that's, that's probably right. Isn't there that like reading? Isn't there that like the that reading of ideology uh, of like of it being like that certain things aren't ideological, like anti-racism or like uh, I don't know. I just remember what I'm I, I, I and this is something I just know there's like multiple definite like the 
different definitions that like certain things aren't ideological like there are certain like ideas that see beyond ideology i think it's something to do with psychoanalysis but that's definitely not my like do you remember we talked about this in yeah. Yeah, class in a little class. bit last yeah, year yeah, yeah, but i said something about i was like like nazism's an ideology and like anti-nazism is an ideology and we then, got way too caught up in that conversation yeah. i remember that uh, but then yeah, I, and I don't, I, I still don't, don't fully understand the difference there, to be honest. I don't either. <laughs> <laughs> nope. Uh, like yeah, I mean. Oh, yeah. The... Okay, we've all read G-Jack. <laughs> like, I don't know. G-Jack. I've only read bad G-Jack. Oh, is there good G-Jack? <laughs> yeah, there's good G-Jack. Yeah. Sublime. Sublime Object, right? Sublime Pretty Object's good. good uh, with the one with the apple on the cover. I want to say it's called This Side of Paradise, but that's right? this. It's oh, <laughs> it's yeah. I am my favorite. Before <laughs> before, <Twilight>. yeah. <laughs> Stephanie Myers, Slavoj Zizek's pen name. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess then maybe even if so, if Christian socialism is an ideology, should is there a way? It, I mean, it, maybe we should choose it. I don't know, but or I'm not suggesting that we should choose it. But like, is there an avenue to choose that or like like I don't know to bring up Marx like. Why did Marx say that, like, we have to not, like, because coming out of Hegel, the namesake of our, of our podcast here, like, Hegel, like, was, like, used Christianity to deduce that we are free. And so, um, like, and then Marx is like, okay, yeah, but just forget all that part. You know what I mean? And then, like, reduces it to, like, he says like that like religion is the opi- opiate of the people and most people think that that's like he's saying that like a dr- like it's it, like it sounds a little bit worse than he was he was kind of saying like that the world is so fucking terrible thank god there's religion to like to like remove <laughs> like to help people out but also like it implies that it's bullshit and i i wonder like if Dostoevsky can come like so quickly after and be like, actually, it's right there, then why did he do like why did he have to? I don't know. So why do you think Marx had to get rid of religion to make Marxism? Why did Marx have to get rid of religion? Well, I mean, if we're religious, our labor isn't ultimately ours, right? I mean, it's for not the profit but the glory of a higher power which isn't the same but at least for neoliberal capitalism i get really similar vibes like people can get into it with the idea that they're serving a higher power a greater good american freedom making things better for our children making our country number one which I don't know, isn't exactly religious, but it feels, it feels close. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Do any any of you have Hulu slash have you seen those weird new uh, Goldman Sachs ads? No. No. They're just, well, it's just, they're like these 90 second ads, which is, it's too long. long. And they're all about, uh, it's it's a short (laughs) film. Um, Yeah. And they're all about um, like, 
what like a positive work environment Goldman Sachs is. It's like, yeah, we work mm -hmm. hard, but like also sometimes I go out for drinks with my coworkers. Oh, um, we also <laughs> play hard, but not hard. Uh, and like there are all sorts of opportunities f uh, for growth. Like, and I'm like, I'm building a good life um, in, in this place that challenges me and I'm helping people like in this, this, and this way. And it's this weird, I, I, they're, it's not exactly related, obviously, but they're bizarre, um, bizarre ads that I would recommend watching. Just a thing, like, we also go out for drinks every now and again, and we also work hard. You don't see us taking out 90-second ads on Hulu. <laughs> is that not what we're doing? <laughs> yeah, this is, this is actually our 90-second yeah, log add-on on you. Please follow our Patreon. Please give us money. We're desperate. <laughs> no, but what you're saying with the Goldman Sachs thing. So are you equating like the – so it's not that their labor uh, creates capital and like makes them money, but it's also that their labor creates some sort of like fulfillment like socially, and maybe that's equivalent to like religious fulfillment? Yeah. That there's this like social component. And it just kind of buries the insidiousness of like the otherwise like exploitation of like – labor and like how goldman sachs is probably oh wow actually i might maybe one day i'll want to job at goldman sachs so i'm gonna <laughs> just stop my comment there. we'll just uh <laughs> redact this from the podcast okay yeah no i think well i think that is sort of what they're doing is that the they're invoking mm. this thing that's like this like intangible unquantifiable thing as a way to like detract from the quantifiable parts of what they're doing that are like bad yeah. <laughs> um and that are insidious and like so they're being like look look over there it's god um <laughs> like <laughs> don't look at all of these poor people over here look instead at god which is god is like going to happy hour with all of your coworkers named brad Wing specials? Yeah, wing specials. <laughs> $5 apps. That's my god. I don't know about you all. Yeah, that's why we gotta be peace. <laughs> I don't think we're gonna be pieces forever. Uh, we should go to McKees. Not right now. If any of our cider. listeners wanna <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> meet up at uh, McKees? No, you talking about that reminded me. I have a lot of uh, friends who've, like, I'm not gonna be specific, but, like, have recently graduated college and work for companies that, like, have Xboxes in the break room or, like, you play, like, uh, like every morning you do like 10 minutes of like beer pong but with Red Bull <laughs> like I, it's all just like it's this weird oh, that's bad for you. yeah it's probably bad for you it's also really like fratty but like yeah, yeah, yeah. it's like yeah they're like like I don't think that this I, I wonder though like I don't think this is not Dostoevsky's alliance of Christianity and, and socialism but like oh you could plausibly imagine if we're just buried in ideology which we are um then like couldn't you make like in america we like work we work like our religion is capitalism and our religion is with air quotes is like christianity or something right like couldn't we replace the capitalism one like theoretically couldn't we like maintain the one and maintain the other because capitalism and christianity are clearly contradictory like, I think that's, like, I think that's, like, like, you can't even disagree. Like, um, and at the very least, like, somehow socialism is at least a little bit least less contradictory 
to Christianity. So couldn't you like hold both contradictory ideological beliefs theoretically somehow? Like why can't we like reconcile that if we can reconcile the further, con- like the bigger contradiction? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I think you can hold those things together. Okay. <laughs> I, I think so too. I think just one of the biggest problems that like the U.S. has in general is just that we have looked at all these like socialist states and like air quotes around the yeah. socialist states and seen those as like failures because at the end of the day like I'm gonna get sniped for this in my sleep I just know it, but like the CIA comes in like fucks up whatever socialism's going on at the time and totally ruins whatever like experiment like or I shouldn't say experiment but whatever like you know moderately successful government that was against whatever interests we had and so people will see socialism as this like ultimate big bad and they're like well at the very least capitalism also air quotes keeps us safe so i do think like we could have like socialist christianity it's just the fact of the the generalized american public thinks that socialism is a bad word so but i think definitely we could if we could get to the point where we like could replace socialism or replace capitalism with socialism we could hold those two ideas i don't think that they're incompatible do we want to tie back into why we think dostoyevsky's a scorpio (laughs) any new thoughts on the matter aside from the fact that he's russian what was what was the one wikipedia header that we were like oh that's that's definitely a scorpio vibes uh Release from prison prison and first marriage. Um, What what defines a a Scorpio? Like, what are okay? They're secretive. Okay. (laughs) They're secretive and private. Um, which like you know it's hard to reconcile with that that with any sort of famous writer or whatever. Yeah, Leonardo DiCaprio is a Scorpio. I don't really know what to do with that. It must have a Sagittarius moon. Yeah. She huh. is female, secretive. Uh, <laughs> I'm so sorry. Yeah. Lock her up, you know? <laughs> this website says no, that Scorpios uh, are realistic. This website says Scorpios are realistic. Uh, He's a realist author. He is a realist author. Um, oh. They're also very loyal and protective of loved ones. He cheated on his wives. Yeah, so that's we can rule Dostoevsky out from that one. Right. Uh, spiritual is one of them. Okay, so we got one of the three. Wait, what else we got? Uh, if we look at worse Scorpio traits, we have obsessive, unforgiving, can be self-destructive, <laughs> introverted. <laughs> Why is introverted a negative trait? Uh, I agree. Emotional, oversensitive, stubborn, opinionated, inflexible, and pessimistic. Scorpios tend to like secrets, <laughs> the dark side of life, dark to feel in control. There we go. Yeah, we're good. And they tend to dislike dishonesty. Okay. And superficial or fake people. I mean, if Jeffrey can be a Scorpio, I feel like Dostoevsky can be a Scorpio. Like, I'm like a lot of those things. At least I think I'm a lot of those things. You consider yourself secretive? <laughs> no, no, that's not one of them. Uh, I'm not introverted either. You're opposed <laughs> to dishonesty. I'm what? Opposed to dishonesty. I am. I How many people are Scorpio. you going to find, though, that are like, I'm just like, re- I'm pro-lying. Like, <laughs> I feel like that's not. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Not Emmanuel <laughs> Kant, who we can do an episode on. <laughs> When's his birthday? <laughs> Off the top of my head. <laughs> we'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. We have Google. Um, um, I did look at a couple Dostoevsky, uh, like, 
estimated birth charts that estimated his birth time, which I thought was a really wild move to make. Um, and they all think that he has a Sagittarius rising, which I thought was interesting. Um, Why is that interesting? It's like vivacious, gregarious. Oh. It's like the op- opposite sign of Scorpio um, okay. in, in certain ways. Um, so I think we can just, you know, we'll chalk it all up to not having his birth time and, and say that that's good, right? The pessimism definitely checks out for him. Everything I've the darker side of life. Yeah, he's definitely a bummer. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, Scorpios are a bummer. Yeah, Camus time. Um, okay, this is like a side note, but I feel like Elon Musk is uh, like an absurdist hero. Um, in Camus terms, in this weird way. I feel Go like on. Elon Musk is like a ca- a capitalist Don Juan. Like I feel like he's like like he's doing the equivalent of like having sex with a thousand women <laughs> by being like I'm gonna put this guy on Mars. Like I'm sending this car to the moon. Like I like I don't give a shit. Do you think? I'm convinced, but <laughs> but maybe like. Let's let's get to that after we talk about Kim Moo because I would love to hear that reprised. Right. Okay. Uh, hot or not? <laughs> hot or not? Um, I think he we agreed. Hot, yeah, hot, with the exception of the picture that they used for his Wikipedia page. It's not a great picture. Yeah, bad. Um, Dostoevsky, we also said was not. I'm pretty sure. Um, oh yeah, Naha. But also, that's. I mean, do- or I mean, uh, Camus with a cigarette is significantly. Yeah, I mean, that's no. A literally a different person, right? I yeah. Mean, hot. Theoretical <laughs> question: Are people with cigarettes in their mouth objectively cooler and hotter? Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. In a black and white photo, especially. I don't smoke, okay. but yes. <laughs> All right. So. Uh, yeah. I mean, we the the primacy of, of phallic symbolism. All right, so Albert or Albert or Al Camus was born November 7th, 1913, died January 4th, 1960, was a French-Algerian philosopher, author, and journalist. He won the Nobel Prize in Literature at the age of 44 in 1957, the second youngest recipient in history, also hot. Uh, (laughs) Philosophically, Camus' views contributed to the rise of the philosophy known as absurdism. He is also considered to be an existentialist despite having Ah, despite his having firmly rejected the term throughout his lifetime. And there we go. Too cool for it. Not a sort. All right. So, Nick, tell us about Camus. I don't... I mean, I I remember the beginning of the podcast, but I don't totally know how I ended up with this, because I I read The Plague about four years ago. I read The Stranger, I think, a few years before that. Oh, sorry. 23-year-olds are into Camus. I smoke cigarettes, too. <laughs> yeah, it's... Uh, let's see. The Plague and The Stranger. Both of them are also about fairly young, privileged white guys who are, are doing well, having an easy time i think i know and he's but he also he's lives not too beach. torn up about it he lives at the beach he's getting laid he 
he killed a guy and I feel like he was okay with it, which is often the worst part when you kill someone. Just the yeah, isn't, isn't that in the movies isn't, at least? Isn't that so often you just <laughs> feel so bad. Isn't, isn't that the, the thing, thing with him that he like kills him and he's like, okay, <laughs> that wasn't crazy. Isn't it that he kills him? I, I haven't read The Stranger in like a decade, but like, isn't it that he kills him so that he can feel something and then ultimately like can't? Like, is that the whole premise? Because he doesn't feel anything because his mom's dead. And he's like, let's step yeah, this up a notch. <laughs> and it still <laughs> doesn't do anything. They, like, <laughs> not spoiler alert if you ever read The Stranger. Uh, <laughs> but, like, then he even, like, when he's going to be put to death, he's still, like, pretty apathetic, if I'm remembering correctly. I don't know. Yeah, I think you're right. Although, he has a moment at the end, right, Edward? There's, like, a freedom. Yeah. Well, I think, I think the, the whole time he's just bored right but then like when he's like and like he shouldn't be like part of it isn't it that like he should be enjoying himself or like he's expected to be like emotional highs and lows and then like when he's in jail for like killing the guy in the most like sterile or like maybe not sterile but like in the most like i don't know people would think of it as probably boring in some regards uh, just a jail cell by yourself for a long period of time um, that's when he, like, has the epiphany that, like, I don't know, he's, even though he's in jail, he's free somehow, and I don't understand necessarily his rationale or logic there. Yeah, I mean, it sounds just anti-materialist, I guess, the realization that once all of these things go away that are supposed to make you feel these highs and lows that are supposed to make life worth living the fact that you feel exactly the same as you did when they were there is uplifting in itself it takes all of this pressure off sure yeah so it's like literally it's not even it's not even like idealist and like maybe a normal sense it's like pure idealism of like live in your own head in some ways like, yeah almost solipsistic. like you can like even though you live like in a material world you can pretend that you're in a solipsistic world yeah i definitely that or i mean buddhist i would almost say in the classical sense if that's not a stretch which, which oh. what did you mean did you mean like i was just thinking accumulation of okay. goods and and even, I mean, relationships to the extent that those are just things. Awesome. Thank you, Nick. It seems like Camus, yeah, would be a capitalist. Right, because there's this whole idea of, like, sorry. Yeah, there's this whole idea, right, that it's not, like, like what counts is, is like, living more. Like, so we recognize that things are absurd. And, like, we don't have to kill ourselves. Like, what a relief. Um, <laughs> like very exciting to like recognize that like the world is strange and I will never be able to understand it but also I don't have to kill myself um, and now like I should just go out and like do whatever the fuck I want right with no ethical ramifications at all um, <laughs> which feels capitalist to me like necessarily um, right right well, I feel like, like we were saying earlier, like, it's like, 
the ultimate goal would be to like go enjoy yourself like enjoy yourself as much as possible which to me seems very capitalistic like because in order to participate in capitalism you have to be able to like purchase things that you believe will bring you enjoyment and fulfillment right like having a coca-cola is is like a moment where you enjoy yourself you know especially now you know it's bad for you but like you enjoy it so you do it anyways and like so i feel like that's sort of like it's almost like a death death wish in some ways without the like but, but i feel like there's this removal of shame or something that like yeah. actually lessens enjoyment i mean like but like right i feel like that's part of it too is like i don't know what i'm trying to say um but there it seems like there's this like because you're exempt from something ethical then you're like no longer asked to feel shame um and so like you don't there is no enjoyment like ultimately um because you're just like doing shit um right which is weird right i agree and it's weird because isn't that almost what he's doing in the stranger like he's just sort of bouncing around doing he has no responsibilities just sort of enjoying himself and he's like at the beach all the time which like sounds amazing and like the whole time it's kind of like when i remember when i was reading it as a 18 year old white male um i was like this is sick he's just at the beach and i was like pissed off because i was like why isn't this guy happy like i fucking go to the beach i'm so i'm just like this is the best thing in my life i love the beach so much and like he's just like oh i'm at the beach again <laughs> like <laughs> he's also like chain smoking the entire time he's just like he's just like ch- cheaping cigs on at the beach <laughs> in the mediterranean <laughs> and then he's yeah no it's too fr- he's like very i don't know yeah it's frustrating yeah i it still then seems kind of anti-capitalist or anti-materialist in terms of accumulation and having and doing to me because the the plague is similar this town gets quarantined no one's allowed to work they're just all there trapped because a plague has broken out but there's lots of alcohol the movie theaters are still open people just go out to dinner and drink and have sex because they're gonna die soon all the time and the main character especially but a lot of other people are just apathetic aren't enjoying it are bored out of their minds by the freedom to do and have what they want just like the main character in The Stranger but then towards the end when it becomes the freedom not necessarily to do or to have things but just to I guess accept things or I wish I could remember the ending of The Stranger better because it it is he gets executed right he just gets it's it's just his thoughts before he gets executed right yeah I think it is but the the freedom comes from it not mattering in my head I well I think it's interesting because I feel like you can easily like 
like I think it's easy to read his ideas and think that it could very like that it's just telling you to enjoy yourself but then I also see your point of like when people do enjoy them like in his novels like when people are enjoying themselves they're bored and so I don't and then when they're like restricted they're like they feel free and I don't know how to reconcile those things yeah because or like work towards our own happiness or like work enough that we have this freedom like ultimately the idea that that is boring does feel anti-capitalist I guess but then the other thing but then the myth of Sisyphus is like is like a person working and happy and and well a person working and they're late they're like they should be really suffering and they are suffering. Um, and you can easily make the analogy to like the laborer of like a factory or something like that. And Camus suggests that we should imagine that person being happy, which would suggest that like, if, if we feel the most free when we're the most enslaved, then we should just accept capitalism as a system that enslaves us and makes us work really hard and life sucks. And then we, and we're just supposed to smile about it. Yeah, I think that, I mean, right, that's, <laughs> I think that is, I don't know how to reconcile it at all. Um, I guess that's how I experience capitalism. <laughs> yeah, I think, I mean, so that's, that's right. Like, sort of. Yeah, I'm just like, oh, cool, I hope I can buy a sweater sometime. <laughs> and then eventually I'll die. Like, that's, and I'm, yeah, I guess that's what I'm doing. Um, but it feels not good, but I guess that, it, it also feels absurd. Um, yeah, right. I've so that's I'm correct. Kind of maybe. Experiencing it, I guess, as as absurd. I don't know. Well, oh no, you find a a thing. Yeah, I have uh, Edward's well-worn, heavily annotated copy of The Stranger. Why did you write existentialism is the coolest philosophy oh in the god. margin of every page? Okay. <laughs> oh my god, this is great. You drew yourself smoking cigarettes on the beach? <laughs> <laughs> in every... <laughs> wow. Uh, but I did find a really great section here towards the end that, I don't know, maybe we can unpack a little bit. Um, so for the first time in that night alive with signs and stars, I opened myself to the gentle indifference of the world, finding it so much like myself, so like a brother, really. I felt that I had been happy and that I was happy again. For everything to be consumed, for me to feel less alone, I had only to wish there be a large crowd of spectators the day of my execution and that they greet me with cries of hate. And that's the last line of the stranger as he's getting put to death. Um, so is it just like be a, be a dick, like be a contrarian? Yeah, I think it literally is. I think that it's like, yeah, continue to be an 18-year-old white boy. Go home to your house at Christmas and be mean to your mom. It's fine. Like you're allowed to do that. Um, yeah, I don't know. Like, don't tell anybody what to do. Like, don't let anybody tell you what to do, which that which basically entails do everything 
that people tell you not to do, which is still them telling you what to do in another way. And it, you know, right? Like, I don't know. But also almost like, it's like almost there's an enjoyment out of like people's response to you live, laugh, loving. Like, it's like he wants, like he wants people to like, his last thing is he wants people to like despise him and to like vocally despise him. Like he wants his death to be like a spectacle of like other people hating him. And I don't. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, that's definitely very Scorpio. Yeah, no, you're fine, you're fine. This idea that it's like, that's like I'm just going to like be contrary for to the like just to to be that way, Um, and like I don't need anyone or want anything from any of you, so it's fine. And it's like I feel like the whole thing about like like obviously the world is hostile and like we can't understand it like of course but like why not like then fall in love (laughs) or like make forge connections with people and then die like that's fine too right i think i think it's definitely better yeah that's good (laughs) yeah it's been it's nice everything's nice uh well no that's a lie uh but those things having companionships and falling in love are definitely nice things uh but um where does that fit in with like we, you guys were kind of speculating about like a, a Camus as like a capitalist figure how does that like like the indifference to being despised like makes sense within a capitalist narrative but like wanting to i'm having a little bit of a tougher time situating that well i don't know i mean i don't think it actually works out like this in american capitalism but like you could imagine like well I mean, maybe you can easily with Donald Trump to some respect, but like, um, like basically doesn't he just want to be the site of like perverse enjoyment? Like, look at me, like everybody hates me and like, and they're envious of me because of the, because of what I enjoy, which literally could be, I enjoy being hated or something like that. Like, and that since, since his universe is void of meaning essentially right and that you determine your own meaning except that you determine it in contradiction to everybody else that like that like the one who has like the most material goods and is enjoying themselves on that level would be hated in some regard like wouldn't okay Camus would only want a socialist he maybe he would want socialism to be the sort of folk consciousness in a capitalist enterprise or country or nation or whatever in which everybody hates the people with the most or something like that. And those select few kind of Nietzschean are like, are like the ones who, I don't know. I don't know how to make any fucking sense of this thing, but you know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know. I don't, I don't know if I'm making any sense right there, but, or if I can make any sense out of his, ideas because i think maybe they're nonsense but uh i don't know that's the only way i could like wrap my head around it but there, at the very least if like even if he's like even if we can make an argument for being him being anti-capitalist like at the very least he has this like appreciation for excess that is hard to like reconcile with sort of any other economic structure yeah right Camus maybe maybe dumb, but also but then, but, 
But I also see it's so contradictory because I also see him saying that like the people at the bottom should just suck it up. Like to me, it's like doesn't Camus just come off as a stoic? Like I put go outside. Have you tried going outside? Because I feel like the 18 year old Camus fan would tell their friend with depression, have you tried going outside? Just like smile or like just suck it up or like just yeah you should just imagine that you're doing what you're doing but it's happier somehow or like you're oh you just don't realize that you're mentally free some bullshit like that that's just nonsense like maybe actually we should change our material life for the better like that's what i would say or the, yeah or there's this like listen like everybody is living this absurd horrible life um but it's like yes but to some people it's much worse yeah <laughs> like it's really really bad not good um and like that it's like you can't just be like you you know like the world is cold and harsh and everyone's having a bad time because like not everyone is having a bad time in the same way right um and like you being bored because all you have to do to is go to the beach is like very different from a lot of other the third one out my hot take which is yeah if it kind of seems just like a very inherently privileged sort of position to be taking and that like oh yeah everybody's sad just suck it up and deal with it and like you were saying if your only problem is that you are bored smoking cigarettes at the beach like you are inherently in a much better place <laughs> And you have the privileged ability to be on a beach smoking a cigarette. Like, just this entire concept just seems so inherently, yeah, I hate to say privilege. That's my buzzword for this little rant of mine, but that's what it is. Well, yeah. Because, like, he does, like, he says this thing, right, that is, that is anti-capitalist, which is basically, like, we can't make a better future, right? Um, and, like that's that's cool and sick and like we can't under capitalism <laughs> um and like that is, that is the promise of capitalism so in that way he's anti-capitalist because he's like listen there's no like trajectory there's no like american dream right like no matter what you do everything is still weird and bad um but like i think where it falls short then is that he's like everything is weird and bad in the same way for everybody um and that's like where i like i think the problem is in his thinking it flattens everything right like just like it's just it's flat ontology Graham Harmon and Camus might have a commonality but Elon Musk the 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 Camus the the hero of Camus the absurdist hero um like his whatever his suffering is entails is like no like greater or lesser than like literally the like like yeah. Child mining the rare metals. Yeah. That he put in is to build his cars. Yeah. Like, Camus, like, yeah, it's like it's, it's one. It's all the same, really. I mean, I think him and Grimes did just break up. So. Oh. Or maybe they could still be dating. They broke up a while ago. Oh, did they? Yeah. Okay. Make her laugh. <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. That Surprise. he doesn't seem. Hashtag, hashtag make Grimes laugh. I love that. Okay. Yeah, Grimes is great. I really like Grimes. Oh, yeah. What's Elon Musk's sign? I'll look that up. Yeah. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna Have we get a number crunch on that, please? I just think, I think it's just kind of a, 
like I feel like this is an issue with a lot of theorists especially ones that do come from like the earliest 20th century is the fact that just like we in the 21st century I feel have a slight more better understanding of like social positioning within our criticisms just like as a concept I mean and that is debatable depending on a your institution and b what kind of theory you're like looking at like what your theoretical framework is um but I think it is very much a like sign of early theorists that it's like yeah we can say that everybody is having these sort of same problems and like everybody's suffering in this way because like yeah obviously we don't give a shit about like actually thinking slightly beyond like the social concept that we would have in our day-to-day lives and biographically it makes sense because i mean camus was algerian but he was like a white elite like basically frenchman living in colonial algiers you know what i mean so like while algeria the country is literally fucking burning from french colonialism he enjoys like the parisian lifestyle of like being a white elite like in algiers going back and forth between france and algeria like so he's like looking for i mean it seems like you could do like a an analysis of him of just being like trying so hard to like rationalize his own suffering and like his answer is that like well it's well it's all just suffering there's no like lesser or like greater than like it's just flat suffering because <laughs> of our flat absurd suffering flat suffering a new <laughs> theory flat stanza flat suffering yeah i think that like uh, i think camus like is a good like to uh, scorpio in that way right where he's like like comes out of his room and he's like oh he's just like so sad and like things are dark and like nobody gets it and everyone's like yeah no like we yeah it's yeah. it's pretty bad we get it and he's like no <laughs> <laughs> you don't get it like i do i don't think and everyone's like yeah we no we do and he's like well, I'm not going to connect with anyone, I guess. <laughs> like that, that's the answer. <laughs> and everyone's like, no, 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 wait. <laughs> we thought about it, and we think that you should. You should, like, fall in love. Um, and, yeah, I don't know. I don't know about Camus. What was Camus, uh, Camus' love life like? Does anyone have, like, have crunched numbers on that? He also had affairs? He had, I think he had a wife at least maybe more than one and he definitely was like always having affairs one of the most one of the highest on the scale of fu- like no fucks to fucks yeah okay. camu fucks Kant does not yeah Kant does not fuck he's the far far no fucks yeah it's like it's like camu Foucault or like the most fucks and then it's like Kant and uh Who's right in the middle? Who's right in the middle? Uh, Freud maybe right in the middle because he did, and then he was like, oh, no, I need to focus on psychoanalysis. <laughs> Somebody in the middle might be like... Um, it's got to be someone dead. Somebody dead, of course. Um, yeah. I don't know. Deleuze? Deleuze is definitely more on the fuck Deleuze, side. Deleuze fucks, for sure. He's French. Um <laughs> Yeah, French fucks. French are uh, the, the will we've, we've noticed. noticed. <laughs> Marx? Marx? 
We don't know about Marx. There's that thing with Marx and Engels talking about is it better to have a wife or a mistress? Have you heard oh, that? yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I don't remember which who I don't remember which one answered. I think you're what. supposed to have both. I think that's the. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's. That's true. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. I mean, you can have like a cock body, but that's not really the not same thing as like mistress. I don't like that. Right. Just, Just a flawed, flawed. You know. Uh, I do have the Wikipedia section on um, Camus affairs. Life. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so he was married. He had. A daughter and a son. The daughter's name was Catherine. Wikipedia elected not to name the son. So, there's that. But uh, Camus had numerous affairs, particularly an irregular and eventually public affair with the Spanish-born actress Maria uh, Casares, with whom he had an extensive correspondence. Uh, I also can't speak French, so I apologize for this pronunciation, but Ferre did not take this affair lightly. She had a mental breakdown and needed hospitalization in the early 1950s. Camus, who felt guilty, withdrew from public life and was slightly depressed for some time. So that's a section in a Wikipedia article. Yeah, bummer. Just went to the beach. (laughs) Depression, isn't that just a fancy word for being sad? (laughs) Yep. So, yeah, that's uh, that's Camus' love life. Several affairs and cheated on his wife. So, real swell guy. Maybe we should use this section to talk about, like, uh, theory and, like, existential bros, because that's a very theory and existential bro thing to do. Um, to cheat on your wife? <laughs> no, but to <laughs> um, that whole vibe of, like, maybe not cheating on your wife specifically, but, like, infidelity, yeah. And then also... I don't know. Getting a little bit bummed out and making a big deal out of it, I think is. He's much like like Kim, like the guy that we saw when we were at Muddy Waters, who was on a Tinder date, telling telling the girl that like like forty minutes into the Tinder date, in which I was also part of it and couldn't couldn't do any studying because I was just listening to this fucking asshole sit right behind me. Um, 40 minutes in was just dropped like oh yeah i have a i have a long time girlfriend but we're in an open relationship like that like type of vibe like that kind of, that he like just like he's maybe read the stranger twice or at least like just read it a month before or something like that so camera would do well in like montreal he's like like in the big in the polyamorous scene but also like gaslights all of his partners is that is that big in montreal oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. i did not know it's about really that He's probably one of those guys who like convinces his bisexual partner to set up a threesome Tinder for the explicit purpose of exploring and exploiting her sexuality. But like the minute a guy comes into the equation, no thank you, yeah, girls yeah. only. Or like, or like the minute he meets somebody who's bisexual, asks them if they want to have a threesome. Like exactly. for sure, like right away, it's just like, oh, I'm not. I wasn't at all sexually attracted to you oh. until right now. <laughs> meets a girl, finds out she's a lesbian, asks, "Can I watch?" Yeah, okay. <laughs> 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 yeah, exactly. That. So, yeah, not the man I wanted to date. Yeah, Camus is a bad guy. Uh, so handsome. Anti-fascist, according to his Wikipedia page, but <laughs> we still have an anti-fascist. Why not be an ideology? 
I think being yeah, I think being against something isn't really like like mo- I feel like most people are anti-fascist. Like if you ask most people in their day-to-day life, I think even fascists would be like, "Oh, I'm anti-fascist." Isn't that ideological though for a fascist to be anti-fascist? Isn't it? Wait, I'm sorry. What so do you mean have, by that? They have some. They have anti-fascism covering up their fascism. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, you're right. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I did get 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 got get get getting. Uh, back to that guy at the that uh, we overheard his entire date at the uh, cafe. I don't know what this has to do with Kmu, but I think it's an important it's part of that day uh, when he was talking about being in a fraternity, and he was like, and the girl seemed like a little bit put off by it. And he's like, oh no no no, everyone in my fraternity is really cool. Like they're all really good guys, and I was like, <laughs> this maybe that's what Kmu would say if he was in a fraternity. I think so, which he was. No, I don't, no, no, I don't. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Should we try to put a bow on this? What would, so thesis, so if any listeners are out there who need a thesis project to work on, and maybe you're 18, just read The Stranger, uh, you're thinking about reading Dostoevsky, but you've never opened the Bible, so you probably never will. Has burned a Bible, but has never actually opened one. Yeah, because they were strangers. Yeah. Um, if I were to write a paper, we didn't get to talk about um, this this short story, but it's called "The Dream of a Ridiculous Man," um, and I would I would call my paper "The Dream of a Ridiculous Man: Camus and Why He's as His Life Is As Bad As Everyone Else's," because um, I feel like that's really what he thinks, um, and it's not. But I think that you could you could do a compelling I think, like, with especially with the suicide connection between those two papers I think or between those two texts you could do like a compelling reading of the Sisyphus myth and um, that short story, right? Yeah. yeah. I think you could do a thesis project incorporating pop culture with Rosalia, in which you use Rosalia Rosalia to disavow. Camus' brand of existentialism and support uh, Dostoevsky's uh, marriage, if you will, and I will, of Christianity and um, socialism, but also Catholicism because she's Catholic. And so there's an there's an angle at which you would have to address the the Grand Inquisitor, and maybe she's suggesting that specifically institutions might in some weird way have the the sort of power as they do in grand inquisitor to shape correctly the the burning of money as she as she suggests in the text does she have a song about burning money does she have a song about burning money i don't know anything about rosalia yeah she has a song called god save us for money in which she says burn it all and keeps talking about burning money so tight that's tight Pretty metal. There's some connection to giving things up that our culture places a priority on and feeling this intense freedom from that that's also based in privilege because it's a big thing you're struggling with is... I don't know. No, I 
shouldn't make a connection between struggling with sexuality and being privileged. So never mind. So scratch, scratch all that. Um, there's no thesis. There's no connection. Never mind. Yeah, no, that would be really cool. <laughs> so his his idea, like his idea, is that like um, once we like recognize the absurd, then we we're like free to live passionately. And for him, like that has like some sort of sexual connotation, clearly, because that's like the first reading he he makes. Um, and like, how do you how do you think about that reading? in an asexual context. <laughs> um, so something that might be kind of interesting is like seeing if uh, Dostoevsky has anything regarding like utopia within writings and kind of do like a comparison between like utopia as Dostoevsky might have imagined it versus someone like H.G. Wells who has several different types of utopias that spring up in his own writing. So kind of doing a comparison between like a potential Christian socialist um, utopia if Dostoevsky could have imagined that one versus like what H.G. Wells would have seen as a non-Christian but like scientific based utopia so that might be something kind of interesting to potentially look into um, don't have a title for it but you know you could probably make some sort of pun on utopias somehow Zootopia don't. <laughs> a great movie um, I still don't actually have an idea for a thesis uh, in regards to these things, uh, I'd probably do something with how uh, biblical hermeneutics as like a political uh, tool and like the Bible as what was that face? <laughs> I have no idea. Let's talk about hermeneutics. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I, I don't really have anything beyond that. But maybe tracing the different ways that um, Camus and uh, Dostoevsky uh, use uh, Christian imagery and Christian. Uh, allusions to the bible as a way of making or maybe not making certain political claims because what even when i was reading as everyone else was talking and i was reminding myself what the end of the stranger was like there's this kind of like um i don't know there's this like he sees like stars and stuff right before the section that i read and that's like a clear parallel between uh the end of dante's inferno uh, where I think the last line of Dante's Inferno, and I'm probably going to botch a little bit, is uh, then I saw stars. So maybe thinking about that. So maybe not the Bible directly, but just like literature with a Christian component or like a clear religious component in relation to Camus and Dostoevsky. So yeah, I guess that is a thesis. That's what I thought I'd do. Yeah. All right. Thank you for joining us on Hegel's Virgo. I'm Annika. My name is Jeffrey. I'm Edward. Join us next time for Sagittarius season. <laughs> <laughs> do, do, do.